0: The story.
1: I was actually feeling reasonably excited about how he was speaking to me and feeling just like he was showing me that my life did have some worth. And I had been thinking, you know, maybe God wants me to write something out of this. So I did. I sat down and started writing and a book came out of that. And part of it was this thing of looking back and seeing the worth of your life. Because I started researching, what is a good death?
0: G'day, I'm Jimmy Colfax. Welcome to The Story. Well, Shirley and Peter Baskett have been married over 40 years and have a unique and enduring love story. Shirley is the author of the books The Woman Who Outran the Devil and Living on the Edge of Eternity. Shirley and Peter are chatting with Eric Scadabo in our Melbourne studios. Welcome to the program, Peter and Shirley
2: Basket. Thank you. Glad to have you with us, and I should say that I've had the privilege of interviewing both of you a couple of times in the past. That's right. And that's had some positive responses, which we can talk about later, but today, sadly, this will probably be the last time I'll have a chance to interview you, as surely you've gotten some devastating news in the last couple of years. Is that right?
1: That's right, I have, and in fact, people often say to me at the moment, what are you doing these days? They've been involved with me over the years, and I say, well, actually, I'm busy dying, and so that usually gets some kind of response. Yes, I would
2: think that would get some people's attention, yeah.
1: Not the usual answer people expect to have from you. But what happened was in October of 2021, I was minding my own business and driving along one day and I was waiting to hear back from the doctor because I'd wanted a full blood test done because I was wondering what was going wrong with the arthritis in my feet. And uh, I got a call saying, look, you know, something's wrong with your blood, Mm -hmm. we need some more blood tests. So on the Monday there was some more blood tests and then I was not really thinking much about it, Mm -hmm. but at 8.30 at night I started getting phone calls coming through on my phone. I didn't recognise the number and these days most people don't answer calls like that and I didn't. Mm -hmm. And then I thought well I wonder this person may have left me some messages and so I picked up my calls and tried to see if there was a message and Sure enough, it was my doctor phoning from home. And by this oh. time, she was already ringing Pete as well. Hmm. And she said, look, you need to get up to the hospital right now. and um, we That's never a masks, good sign
2: when they want you to get there right away.
1: Uh, and no, and no. go to triage. And when you do, tell them that they have to phone me. Do not sit next to anybody. It was at the time when COVID had just started breaking out, of course. Oh, yeah,
2: 2021.
1: Yeah, And uh, so we went up to the hospital a bit puzzled and... I went to triage, and they said, how are you feeling? I said, well, fine, thanks, just a bit tired. How much pain are you in between 1 and 10? And I said, well, probably zero. So So you're not expecting any of this. I don't know quite why I'm here, but you need to ring my doctor. So long and short of that was, they did, and they said, look, you're in the right place. And um, they took some more blood from me, and... Pete went home a bit puzzled, but he'd actually been noticing the nurse's face and she, he could see that there was something serious going on there.
2: Mm. Well, and well, so, what were
3: you thinking, Peter? Well, we were quite confused. We didn't know what was happening. They did a, did a blood test and just for a split second I saw this very, very serious look in her eye and mm. I thought, this, no, this is not good. Yeah. This is not good. Yeah. So I went home.
1: So he went home and, and I waited to hear what the result was going to be and had a little snooze and... And then the doctor came in about one o'clock in the morning and said, there's actually no easy way to say this to you, but you have blood cancer. Mm. And I thought, okay, I can hear what you're saying, but this is not really computing. Mm. And I thought, oh, goodness, she said, we're moving you right up to the Olivia Newton-John Center right now.
2: So they, whatever they saw in your blood, they knew you got to get right to a hospital.
1: They Correct. knew that I had yeah. leukemia, but they didn't have all the facts of what it was at that mm. stage. And so I thought, goodness, I might be in for a night or two. I'd better ring Pete and mm. get him to bring some things up. I thought, it's one o'clock in the morning. He's got to work tomorrow. Mm. And so I thought, I won't tell him. I'll just tell him that I'm going to be in for a night or two. And can he please bring me up some some change of clothes yeah, and a toilet yeah. bag and whatever else. And so I thought, I'll ring him up and I won't say anything to him. So... I phoned and I said, "Pete, I've got blood cancer," and so <laughs> so much for my resolve. <laughs> and uh, and so, of course, that's. I knew he'd be awake anyway, and, but so he was awake. They sort of shifted me off to the hospital, gave me a bone marrow biopsy that night, hmm. and uh, Pete was left wondering what was going on.
3: Yeah, it was pretty devastating news. Yeah. And it was kind of weird. It was like my life was flashing before my eyes, mm. which is what they say happens before you die. But yeah. I think it was the thought that Shirley might go, might be going to die, and it was just incredibly confronting. And I just didn't understand. And I was actually in shock. Oh, I can imagine because you had no warning.
1: It was, it was just no warning. No, no just I test. was
3: absolutely in shock, and I was, I was like pleading with God, saying, "You can't take her home.
2: Mm. Not now." Mm. Mm. No, I should say, just just backtracking, you've been married over 40 years together. We
1: have now, yes. Mm. But so you were awake and you just couldn't sleep and you wanted to talk because my husband loves to talk. And the way oh, he gets things out, he's the extrovert you, in the family. <laughs> and uh, we both like to talk, but he's the extrovert and he needed to talk to somebody. But it was early hours of the morning.
3: Yeah, so anyway, so... We'd sent some messages off to our friends saying that things had gone rather poorly, mm. um, but they were asleep. And then, next minute at four o'clock in the morning, my friend messaged me back. I was kind of shocked to think that he had seen the message, but of course, he's an Apple fan and it was the Apple launch in America and he was up for the Apple launch.
2: <laughs> <laughs> of all things. <laughs> of wow. all things. And yeah. so he
3: messaged me and finally I got to at least share it with somebody. Yeah. yeah. And, Which was know, important to you. Yeah, be able of to course, because I was on my own with. and my head was exploding at yeah. that point. Yeah. You know? yeah. Yeah, I started doing housework. <laughs> possibly <laughs> one, know one of the to first do.
1: signs that God is with you through this whole valley and yeah. that there's little things mm-hmm. that he shows you along the way. And yeah. for Pete, that was really major. And then, of course, we're New Zealanders originally. Mm-hmm. And so he realized that they were up two hours before oh. everybody else. So he yeah, started phoning people yeah. in New yeah. Zealand at five o'clock in the morning knowing they were getting ready for work.
2: So and you could uh, have <laughs> someone to, to talk to. In- exactly. Yeah. 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 yeah.
1: So that's kind of how it began, and Mm. I found that, no, it wasn't just a couple of nights. Originally, the doctor said, well, it might be a week or so, and I said, a week? And then they said, well, actually, it's probably going to be about five weeks, and so it was actually over five weeks that I was in the Olivia Newton-John Centre through COVID.
2: And we should say, as a side note, you... Emailed Olivia Newton John oh, herself.
1: Yes, that's right. Well, later on, I um, was thinking because I spent a lot of time, of course, thinking while I was in there Yeah. in those five weeks. And I thought how wonderful it was that Olivia Newton John had actually funded this hospital and mm. had her treatment there as well. Yeah, but yeah. she funded a lot of it. And uh, so I sent her an email, or I sent it to whoever admin people are, Mm. just saying, please thank Olivia Newton-John for funding this hospital because they are so wonderful and they had done so much for Mm. me and it's just an incredible hospital to be part of. It's a research hospital and it's a wholeness hospital, so they really care for the whole person. You're not just a patient in the bed, you're Mm. a human and that's a wonderful thing. Mm -hmm. And uh, she sent me an email back. Personally. Personally. Wow. And uh, said, you know, thank you for letting me know, and I hope things will go well for you. And so I was really impressed by that. She didn't need to do that, and mm. she was just a very lovely lady, I believe. Mm-hmm.
2: And that's part of your journey, that you were in the right hospital at the right time.
1: That's right. And in fact, I couldn't have any visitors at all, not even Pete, and so that was a difficult thing. Oh, during thing COVID, yeah. Because it was COVID, mm. and I was most of the time in an area they call the bubble. And what that is, it has its own air supply and you you can't nobody can visit you anyway. Mm. No flowers because you can't have any bacteria. It's mm. just you're in almost like isolation. Mm. However, they would have a physio come in every day and try and get you to get up and do some physio and that was really good. And they had an art therapist and she was wonderful and and unfortunately for her though. I was also having God probably bringing me different visits in his own ways as I read the Bible and went through things like that in my spiritual and mm-hmm. personal life. And so when she came in each time, she always seemed to get an earful from me about what I felt God was saying and mm. what was happening to me spiritually and uh, I think she was kind of expecting to come in and see this very depressed person, mm. but I was actually going through quite an exciting time. Is that right? I had a chaplain come in, and he got all my stories too, and so, so God I, was, was, I was busy in there as well. So.
2: so God was working in your life at that time?
1: Oh, absolutely, from, probably from day one. I put a post on Facebook to say this is kind of what's happened to mm. me, yeah, and didn't realize that I was going to be inundated with people from around the world that knew me from when I was speaking around the world at different times in ministry and Mm -hmm. people from here in Australia and just people from everywhere. I was swamped. And this does happen to quite a lot of people, that you get swamped with love.
2: Mm. Now, I I should uh, just interrupt and say you were in the past the leader of an international ministry.
1: Yeah, that's right. Or the
2: Australian branch of an international ministry.
1: That's right. It did, strangely enough, in my life, this Sort of rather, I think, unimportant female he ended up speaking in many different countries and mm. Costa Rica, Brazil, uh, North America, Mexico Asia. City. You know, so Mexico mm. City, mm. and um, so you know, that was a very exciting life that God gave me and Pete mm. over the years. But it all started coming back to me in ways of people making contact with me and. I might be awake in the middle of the night in the hospital and some of my American counterparts, ministry Mm. friends there would know that and they would contact me because they'd see me on Facebook at 2 o'clock in the morning. And so they'd ring and we'd have a chit-chat in the middle of the night. And and, uh, so uh, when you're in the hospital and you've got chemo going into your system through a drip – you have several weeks where you're having to have this kind of like a pole that's attached to you and it's Mm. your intimate friend. It Mm. goes to the bathroom with you and everything else. And so in the hospital, they have a bit of a joke and they call it um, your Polish boyfriend <laughs> And so I thought well I will name my Polish boyfriend then So I gave him a Polish name and called him Boris with the Polish spelling <laughs> And um, and then I found the surname for him and called him Bogoslowski Because <laughs> Bogoslowski meant the glory of God And that's what that I felt right? like I was experiencing Despite mm. what should have been a dark time
0: You're listening to The Story. Today, Eric Scatterbo is chatting with Shirley and Peter Baskett about how their lives completely changed the moment Shirley was diagnosed with leukaemia and told she only had months to live. We'll hear more of their story when we return. The Story. We're back with Eric Scatterbo chatting with Shirley and Peter Basket. Before the break, we heard about the events surrounding Shirley being diagnosed with leukaemia and being told she only had months to live. However, we also heard how Shirley was quite excited about experiencing the glory of God, despite going through a dark time. Now,
2: why is that? Why, I mean... If well, I ha- if I'm just trying to put myself in your situation, yeah, uh, I don't know that spiritual revelations would be what I was most <laughs> focused on. Probably I might be having a pity party for uh,
1: well, finding well, myself.
2: Probably, it was interesting because maybe a
1: lot of people do. When I'd have social workers come and they'd be expecting to see this very depressed person, but I sensed God's presence in there with mm. me, and that
2: right from the start, I,
1: right from the start, mm. and had tremendous peace and tremendous. Actually, I could say joy. Mm. And the reason why was that I think that prior to this, I probably was starting to get unwell but didn't know that. Mm. And so I'd started spiraling down and thinking, what was my life worth? Have I really helped anybody? Have I really done anything in this life that was worth anything to anybody or Mm. to God for that matter? Mm -hmm. And then when all these people started pouring all this love back into me, they would tell me stories and they would say, you came to my ladies group and... What you shared about your life saved a couple of ladies from going in a Mm. really probably destructive direction, Mm. whatever that was. I don't know. Yeah. But, you know, they started feeding all this stuff back Mm. to me. And I think, oh, please don't do that. You're robbing me of my reward in heaven. I don't (laughs) even… I don't even remember going to that meeting but I sure remember the yum food that we had. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but you know and so I was having a mostly enjoyable time and
2: people were blessing you. Uh,
1: yeah. And so the art therapist I mean she got me to draw a picture of what I was feeling. <laughs> And so I drew a picture of some trees that looked like the ones at Torquay here in Victoria where the Mm. wind's almost blowing them over and they've grown blown over. Mm. And I felt like my whole life had been a little bit like that with adverse winds blowing against me, leaning me down. Mm. But at the same time, I'm still alive and I've got green leaves and I'm hoping that this tree that I am has been fruitful. And all these balloons were coming over in the wind with beautiful love and Mm. messages of hope and So how could I feel bad? Hmm. But then the second time she came in,
2: the art therapist, uh,
1: (laughs) the art therapist, the poor lady, she was not a Christian believer, but she listened to me and Hmm. had a lot of grace for me. But the second time she came in, I felt like God had spoken to me, and I'd, and just in the impression in my mind, I knew that God was saying to me, "You never stop. You don't know what it is." To just sit back and be in my presence and just stop doing things, stop doing, 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 mm. you would need to learn how to rest in me. Mm. And so I was a bit shocked by that, to be honest, because it wasn't the kind of thought I was expecting to come from my own mind. Mm. And uh, in fact, strangely enough, somebody sent me something straight after that talking about resting in God and learning how to rest in God. And I thought, okay, I, I can hear you. I'm hearing you. <laughs> well, so the art therapist came in and she got an earful about that, about me learning how to rest in God. Oh, okay. But she must have thought I was an utter crazy. But anyway, we've actually mm-hmm. got to know each other quite well and it's wonderful.
2: Oh, okay. So up to that point, you were just going, 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 doing, going, going, doing, doing, and, and now all of a sudden you're forced yeah, to rest.
1: Just never really stopping. Mm-hmm. And so I've had to try and learn that and I think it's a key for a lot of people and mm-hmm. So at that point, I mean, I did keep doing things because I started doing little videos while I was sitting in the hospital. And uh, even when I'd gone bald with the chemo and I had my little beanie on and, mm. and then a friend was uploading them to a group that I had on Facebook that I still have, just informing people of how I was going and what was happening with the treatments. And, and so, you know, I started talking about some of these things on that. And um, some people found that quite helpful, I think. But
2: mm-hmm.
1: I thought, trust me, I can't stop myself. I'm even doing little videos sitting in hospital, but I've got to learn to also mm-hmm. sit.
2: Back now, why were you doing that?
1: Because um, I wanted to share what God was doing. Because I was actually feeling reasonably excited about really how He was speaking to me and and feeling just like He was showing me that my life did have some worth, mm. and so. What came out of that was, I think I did about half a dozen of the videos while I was there, and there was a friend from my old church in New Zealand, and she's a professional transcriber. Mm -hmm. And so she said to me, look, I think you've got a book in this. She said, would you mind if I transcribe this for you? And I thought, mind? Goodness me. I mean, you often pay a lot of money for somebody to do transcriptions. And I had been thinking, you know, maybe God wants me to write something out of this. So I did. I sat down and started writing, and a book came out of that. And part of it was this thing of looking back and seeing the worth of your life. Mm. Because I started researching, what is a good death?
2: Okay, that is a good question. What is a good death? We're going to have you explore that a little bit. But first I want to yeah. swing back to Peter. Yeah, What's going on for you during all this?
3: Well, I'm still working,
2: mm-hmm. and I'm having to survive.
3: Uh, it was interesting, really, because you know when the, it was like a bomb went off for me, and I was just yeah, completely yeah. shocked and thinking, "That's it, she's gone." I even started preparing a eulogy. My oh, goodness! Wow. Well, I was just—I <laughs> was shocked. My head yeah. was, my mind was going in all directions at the same time. But anyway, I was just going to say, but that morning, um, I started reading the Psalms, and then. God spoke to me very, very clearly through one of the most personal things in my life that He's spoken to me about, and and that's um, related to that aspect of my life. And I realised unequivocally at that moment that He was with me, mm. and and then I had peace, mm-hmm. and I realised that He's with me, and this this is okay. Um, yeah, I'm a bit of a crybaby. <laughs> <laughs> no, no problem. I, I, I no problem. sort of spent a few days you know at home and then I was talking to people at work I've been in the same company for 20 years and I, I was talking to them on the phone and I said to them look I cry at the movies and I cry at weddings so just be prepared and so I went back to work that week and I did a bit of crying and they were so gracious to me you know and you're an and, engineer? Yeah, and I'm an engineer and, you know. Not known for touchy-feely? Yeah, that's right. right. Not known for touchy-feely. But, and, you know, they um, their hearts were breaking mm. as well, you know. Because they, they, they could see what I was you, going yeah. through. And yeah. they were just yeah. very supportive. And, and I had a, a little a gem of wisdom. You know, when people die, you never know what to say to them. Yeah. And yeah. I'm like, oh. Now it's the other way around and people are going, I don't know what to say. And I said to this particular guy, I said, you know, the fact that you're just listening to me Mm. means that you care. Yeah. You don't have to say anything. The other thing that happened was I had a sort of a um, like a picture which helped describe what had happened to my life. And so it basically I was standing on the train station on the platform waiting to catch the train into the town, go out with some friends, have some dinner and whatever. Mm-hmm. And the train pulls up to the platform and it's got the word cancer train on it. Mm. And I look, I looked at that and I'm not getting on that. Yeah. Next yeah. minute, the doors flung open and uh, someone on the platform shoved me. I was all of a sudden on the train and the doors shut and the train took off. And that was kind of what happened you know it was like a like a sliding doors moment where i suddenly Mm -hmm. i was on a journey that i couldn't control
2: yeah so that's what happened to
3: your life yeah that's exactly what was what was happening and then i kind of looked over and i saw someone sitting in the carriage and i realized that it was the lord and that Mm. he was on the the cancer train
2: Mm. now and he was with me now obviously i mean just to be blunt surely you know your time is limited Mm -hmm. and then peter you're going to be by yourself yeah. Yes. And so that's that's reality, what's gonna happen. Mm-hmm. But what's been taken away from you obviously surely will be taken away from you. Yes. Literally. Mm-hmm. But also you had a retirement and life together, enjoying your old age together mm-hmm. was part of the plan, which is now taken away from another loss. Mm-hmm. Correct. Yeah. But you're trying to to uh, kind of speed that up, I guess you could say, what yeah. what you were going to do? That's right. So it was kind of interesting because the doctor was, um,
3: he loved travel.
2: <laughs>
3: the doctor? Yeah, loves travel. Yeah, our main, our main doctor, mm-hmm. the, the main haematologist, loves mm-hmm. travel. And he said, Look, here's the deal. He said, you, you don't know how long you have. It might only be a year. It might be mm-hmm. six months. It might be two years. You mm-hmm. really don't know. And so they were very, very deliberate in saying that you need to create a bucket list. Mm-hmm. If you want to say something to somebody or you want to do something, mm-hmm. yeah, w-
2: whatever it is. Because all those yeah. retirement year plans and traveling gone, and all yeah, that are we, gone unless you just do it real quick. Yeah, so, so we um, surely had previously worked in
3: the travel industry and so we did have a love of travel. So we did um, we did do some fun trips, to be honest.
1: Yes, so what happened was that um, first of all, I was told that if I hadn't had the treatment, I wouldn't have made Christmas
2: 2021. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. And so, yeah. so it was caught.
1: Yeah, and in yeah, fact, early. With, we were the liking, new, yeah. with the yeah. new wow. treatments that they have, it gave a lot more hope. However, prior to that, te- only 10 years ago, they would have said, over 65 go home, you're going to die. But no I got put onto a trial drug called venetoclax, mm-hmm. as well as the chemo. And then the doctor said to me, well, you're in remission, and as Pete says, he said, whatever you want to do, you do it now. hmm because he said actually most of my patients die within a year and I thought well not a very good doctor are you so I might have to go to another one but <laughs> I did hear what he diagnosis. was saying yeah. and uh, but we I went into remission and so Pete said well look You've always wanted to do one white Christmas. Let's go to Europe and we'll do a one white Christmas. Go to Scandinavia and maybe go up to the top of Finland to Lapland and see Santa and have Christmas Day in Stockholm.
2: And and, uh, you showed a video. Of you on a dog sled, the two of you being pulled by <laughs> a dog huskies. That yeah. was that was my Through favorite thing.
1: Favorite <laughs> thing, dog sled, and we yeah. had our good friend Ricky Chalette from Texas with us, yeah. and so the three of us looked like three Smurfs sitting on this thing, mm. and off we went to do this.
0: Well, that was part one of Eric Scatterbo's conversation with Shirley and Peter Basket. We invite you to join us next time when we'll hear more of their story and more about the topics Shirley has been researching, including what is a good death and how to die well. She's written about this in her book, Living on the Edge of Eternity. She'll share with us some advice based on her research next time. But today, as we reflect on our lives and what kind of legacy we'll leave behind, we'll end with these Bible verses from the book of Matthew. Jesus said, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven for where your treasure is there your heart will be also well until next time when we'll hear more of Shirley and Peter's story I'm Jimmy Colfax encouraging you to share your story with someone today next time on the story
1: and he said that you know you really haven't got much time now And in fact, he said, most of my patients, he said, first of all, a year. And then he said, well, actually, you know, most of them die within two years. So I thought, oh, this is just great, isn't it? You go on this roller coaster of emotion. Because now I wasn't that excited about getting to heaven. I was when I first got diagnosed. But we'd had so much fun in the last two years.
0: Shirley Baskett has been diagnosed with leukaemia and is the author of the book Living on the Edge of Eternity. She'll share her advice on how to die well as she tells more of her story next time. The Story, just another way vision is helping you look to God daily.